welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? Oh, feeling good. It's good to be back here in Wormtown in our safe little confines. Uh, not saying that we were not having a good time in New Orleans at CrimeCon. That was an insane whirlwind. It was super fun, and it was one of the busiest crime cons that we've been to. Definitely the busiest crime con we've participated in. We were pulled in a lot of different directions, but yeah, it was a blast. It was exhausting, and it was everything we wanted, and I hope it was everything you wanted out there, those of you who attended. And if you didn't attend... Make sure to go to CrimeCon in 2020 in Orlando. Yep, that's going to be the first weekend in May. I think it's May 1st to the 3rd, I think. Third, yep. yeah. And that is guaranteed to be a great time already. I don't know that anyone who attends CrimeCon doesn't have a great time, Lance. And it's really interesting because a lot of people who hear about CrimeCon, oh my gosh, a conference about crime, they're celebrating murder. Not at all. Anyone who's ever been to CrimeCon would never say that which is uh, the really cool thing. We were joined by Bruce Maitland, our friend Michelle, Dan, and Bruce's girlfriend, Ruth Ann, in New Orleans at CrimeCon, and they ran the PIs for the Missing booth. Right, and it was so cool to see everybody walking around, uh, strangers, people we knew, walking around with the private investigations for the missing buttons or the wristbands. And so far, uh, the the current count is over 200 signatures that people uh, gave on uh, the mailing list. So these are people that will receive periodic newsletters. And also, if you want to give us more uh, significant donation, this is the way that we're all going to communicate. But really, Bruce, uh, Ruth Ann, like you said, Michelle, Dan, these people are friggin' champions. They they man the booth. They they. We're on our panels. Bruce Bruce came to the panel and and he uh, spoke to the crowd, a very important crowd there at CrimeCon. These are the people that he wants to get in front of. You know, these are the people that if he's trying to raise awareness for Bree's case, for Brianna Maitland's case, and for uh, private investigations for the missing, th- those are the people that he needs to be in front of. And he, he he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and I think he really enjoyed himself. And I think Julie Murray, who attended as well, more his sister, really enjoyed herself too. And I think they. They sort of uh, understand what CrimeCon is and and how huge of an opportunity it is. Yeah, and like you said before, I think in the beginning, CrimeCon 1 and maybe a little on CrimeCon 2, there was a misconception that this was sort of like a Comic-Con where people went and it was a big, it was more of a party environment and a a celebration. Everyone has fun at CrimeCon. And there's a bit of celebrating at night. And there is, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we're not talking people dressing up like Charlie Manson or Ted Bundy. Pogo the Clown. There's none of that. I know that there was probably a misconception there, but these are people who go and they want to educate themselves. They want to learn about cases. They want to be advocates and they want to know how to either defend themselves or they want to know about the criminal justice system. There's a ton of things to learn about. And there's just lots of advocates there and family members who are begging for coverage. So when we get the chance to do that, we are thrilled to do it. And uh, here's an example. At our panel that we did for Crawl Space, we had Bruce Maitland we asked Otavia Zapala to be on the panel with us. And, of course, Otavia is with the Missing Alyssa podcast, which has to do with the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. And we also asked Jason Watts to be on the panel last minute, like like not even a lie. He was actually sitting in the front row, and we're like, hey, jump up here. We have an extra <laughs> mic. And he's like, me? He's like, what? I have to pee first. <laughs> we're like, no, you can't. 
But this is what happens at CrimeCon. So they're up there with Bruce Maitland. And I'm sure from a distance, initially, you'd look at that and you'd say, how is this going to work? Yeah, because they're from three different cases. Brianna Maitland, Alyssa Turney, and Jason is a champion for Brandon Lawson's disappearance. Right, but the conversation just flowed so naturally. Bruce would talk about one element of the investigation or the disappearance. And Octavia would jump in with something that was relevant to Alyssa's case, which then, you know, turned into Jason's opinion and and how that relates to Brandon Lawson's case. And it really was a uh, what initially felt like it could be sort of clunky was a hour long conversation that flew by. And we got some great uh, questions from the audience. And a lot of people not to pat ourselves on the back, but a lot of people said that that was one of the best best panels that they'd seen at CrimeCon that was just sort of unexpectedly good. Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to give a big thanks to Bruce, Otavia, and to Jason Watts. That episode will be coming probably in a couple weeks. Uh, but this episode, Lance, is part two of our panel at the Riverwalk Cafe in Nashua, New Hampshire, that we did in May. And this episode starts out kind of abruptly, and we start talking about Brianna Maitland's car and uh, what was done to the car and how it was processed and handled in the aftermath of Brianna's disappearance. Of course, if you don't know about Brianna's disappearance, we would urge you to listen to episode one of this. But the quick rundown here is that Brianna went missing the evening of March 18th, 2004, after she left her job at the Black Lantern in Montgomery, Vermont, Her car was found abandoned about a mile down the road, hung up on an abandoned house. I mean, most people who are interested in cold cases and, you know, the disappearance of, you know, fill in the blank, know that picture of Brianna's car that's hung up in the back of the house, you know, backed into this boarded down, backed into this boarded up abandoned home. And what happens at our panel is pretty amazing because we have... Bruce, who just never he's he's never really come out and done anything public aside from something like Dateline or early interviews right around the time that her her disappearance happened. And and since then, he's channeled his energy into private investigations for the missing. But to have him harken back to those early investigation days and collaborate with uh, Greg Overacker and eventually start collaborating with Lou Barry on it. The uh, the the police officer who's been in law enforcement for I think longer than you and I have been alive. He's he's just a uh, consummate law professional. Um, it, it was really cool to see the three the three of them interact together up there and talk about the details of like the car and and Brianna's uh, new leads in Brianna's case. Yeah, and Chloe Cantor joins us up there as well. And, of course, check out Chloe's new podcast called True Crime Twins that she does with her identical twin sister, Melina Cantor. And so episode two came out a couple weeks ago, so check that out on the feed. There's a link in the show notes. And before we throw it to this episode, I just wanted to mention a couple of highlights from the CrimeCon trip, Lance. One of them was Art Roderick, former U.S. Marshal Art Roderick, who we were on the TV show, The Disappearance of Maura Murray, with. Uh, we were hanging out with him on Thursday night, uh, late into the evening, very late into the evening, and uh, he was a blast to hang out with, and uh, he he gets real, especially friendly, and he's doing some dancing at the bar, real late. Well, first of all, in order to hang out with Art, you have to you have to push your way through the... Uh the the waves of of female fans he's got, he's at least like four rows deep 
uh, of female fans because he's got this magnetic personality and he's really smart and he's really fun to hang out with and he'll listen to you like that's something that is really impressive is that he's got a bunch of people around him and they're all asking him questions and he's responding to them he's engaged and he's engaging yeah uh, so that was a that was a highlight, and we got to see him dance a little bit, which was also a, a fun highlight. And Classy he, dancing with uh, some of the young ladies at the bar. Yep, and he promised me a U.S. Marshal pin. He said he had a ton of them up in his room. He's never going to give you He's, one. And, and he did not give it to me, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's on the way. Um, another highlight was meeting Sarah Turney for the first time. That's absolutely right. We did a panel with her and Octavia and Justin from the Mysterious Circumstances podcast, and that was just a real an honor to be asked to participate in that panel. And uh, it was great to meet Sarah. And that panel, hopefully that audio will come out on the Missing Alyssa channel. But um, that panel was was really powerful and emotional. Yeah. And I can't even, I, I definitely fanned out over Sarah when I first met her. And I apologized because I was like, I'm just going to go off right now and you just have to bear with me. But I've never met anyone like her. Yeah. And I, someone who can openly say, I think my dad did this and I think my sister was a victim of my dad's abuse and I'm going to be uh, rallying against my dad and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him arrested for my sister's murder. At the cost of her own family. At the cost of her own family. And yet she still has this ridiculously amazing attitude. Badass. Yeah. I think she's very, very smart, obviously. And she's identified her time and place in the world and she knows how to use her platform. Yeah. And she's using it like the in the most effective way I've ever seen. Yeah, so check out the Missing Alyssa podcast. Make sure to follow Sarah Turney on social media as well. She's doing a lot of updates. And we hung out with uh, Captain from True Crime Garage and Nick, and we saw Justin and Aaron from the Gen Y, as well as a bunch of other podcasters that we know well and really like. We saw Josh Hallmark from True Crime Bullshit. It was nice to meet him. It's nice to finally meet him. Yeah, even though it was very brief. Yeah, um, yeah. But, he's a huge guy. Oh, yeah. He's a bodybuilder, I He's think. a bodybuilder, yeah. And Billy Jensen, we hung out with Billy Jensen a bit, and uh, one of the funniest moments uh, of CrimeCon was when we were uh, introducing ourselves as Billy Jensen and Paul Holes. The poor man's Billy Jensen and Paul Holes. <laughs> well, it first started as we were just introducing oh, ourselves right. as Billy and Paul, and uh, and then and we were just cracking ourselves up because everyone knows everyone who we were talking to knew what they looked like. Some of those people didn't know what we looked like, but had probably heard of the shows that we do, if not heard the shows. So it was it was always a big laugh when we did that and yep. then we posted it on social media that we are the poor man's <laughs> Jensen and Holes which I I can't move away from that comparison I feel like I, it's I feel like not, we really are it's a great comparison <laughs> we are the poor man's Billy Jensen and Paul Holes in and, like every way and you all out there can figure out who's who but I think the funny like the humor in the whole thing is you don't have it's free to listen to both of us like you you can be rich or poor <laughs> right you don't like only, rich people can listen to us if they want to <laughs> but we were the poor man's we're like diet billy jensen and diet paul holes so that was a lot of fun uh check out those pictures on social media and we hung out with maggie freeling uh a lot this weekend too who is a blast to hang out with she had some uh, hilarious things to say as well as uh patrick hines and jillian pensavale of true crime obsessed podcast we had the opportunity to go to their live show at a place called the always lounge and they sold out the house and you know i'm thinking it was probably like you know maybe up to 100 people that they performed in front of 100,000 100,000 people 
I can't believe how good their show is. They're so funny. I I told Patrick after, I said, I don't know. I mean, you obviously have done this show before, but the way you guys play off each other is insane. And you're just seeing something really unique because it's a live podcast it's their podcast translates so perfectly to a live show. Yeah, and to this whole kind of uh, moment in time with this true crime explosion. So the, their podcast is called True Crime Obsessed, and that's really what they are. Like if they see someone that they listen to or someone they've seen on a documentary at the bar, like what happened to us yeah. at CrimeCon, they freak out. And yeah. it's like, oh, my God, let's take an Instagram video. And it's like, yeah. But it's, it's, not, a, it's not really an act. Uh, it's it's dead true. They're obsessed and they're hilarious. And uh, just like the Art Roderick, when you talk to them, they are engaged with you, and they don't ever lose their sort of humble beginnings because they they're a talent. They're they're talented. They're talented, and they have a huge following. Yeah, they do, and they know the cases, and they're not making fun of victims or anything like that. So if you don't like comedy in your true crime, maybe the show's not for you. But if you like a dash of comedy with some really funny people, I think you'd really like the show. Yeah, they covered Cocaine Island on their uh, on their live show that we saw, and it was no way making fun of. Uh, like the case itself it was it was just their very amusing observations of the production of the show yeah. which which they they played off of each other so beautifully so a lot of fun at crime con so many stories we met so many people thank you to everyone who we met and talked to and we're going to go into more depth on this subject and topic on our patreon channel so check that out at patreon.com slash crawlspace podcast we'll do Probably 45 minutes on CrimeCon in that episode this week. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have to talk about how we collected DNA with the MVAC. Oh, that, that was, was fun. fun. Yeah. How uh, Danelle Hallen and John Lorden with their uh, snappy dress, they watched our table for a little bit along with Justin and Aaron because we were running around. It was a blast. We had a blast in the VIP lounge with uh, with John and Danielle, too. But we'll be yep. talking about that on the Patreon. And thanks to everyone who came up to us and said that we do a great job or, or that they love a certain thing about what we did. And I find that my favorite compliments, Lance, end up being like, oh, that was so funny. Or uh, your Stitcher commentary, creator commentary series, it was cracking me up on my way to work, which was maybe my favorite compliment that I uh, that we got this weekend um, because it was kind of unexpected. And I don't know, maybe it's something about me, but I do like uh, when people uh, are entertained and uh, find what we do humorous. And that's why the Patreon thing is really just such a great place to interact with us. So check it out at patreon.com slash podcast. And if you want to check out that creator commentary series, check it out at stitcherpremium.com. Use code FRAMES for a free month. We do a creator's commentary series for Missing Maura Murray, where we talk over every single old episode, or at least the first 80. And the entire archive of Crawl Space is available there, so it's just $4.99 a month on stitcherpremium.com. You get the first month free, code FRAMES. Use it. You will enjoy it. And you get to hear us perform a, a special kind of torture on ourselves by listening to the old episodes. <laughs> and commenting and speaking of torturing yourself you can listen to true crime garages off the record show yeah if you want to do a special kind of torture that's at <laughs> another level and tim i don't want to forget about season two of empty frames our art heist podcast which is now out from uh, the stitcher premium exclusivity and you can catch all of the episodes uh for the public feed it's going to be every other week the first one just dropped today and that is about the uh the return of the woman ochre that w- that happened in manzanita ridge furniture and 
Antiques out there in Silver City, New Mexico. We talked to the owners there, the ones who accidentally uh, found this uh, painting that was stolen. $100 million painting yeah, just, that uh, you know, dropped into their lap. Just on a wall behind a door. <laughs> it's really one of the best stories that I've heard in, uh, and one of my favorite interviews in, in doing all this work that we've been doing over the past few years, Lance. Just a fun interview. It's it's loose, and uh, you know, there's no victims, no casualties. Uh, it's, it's just a really interesting story about returning an extremely expensive piece of artwork. Yeah, even the heist itself seemed kind of uh, fun-loving. You know, it, a, it does because an unassuming it, couple yeah. just walks into a museum <laughs> and takes the painting and leaves yeah. on Thanksgiving or something like that. Yeah, it's a wild story. So check that out. It's called Empty Frames. There's a link in the show notes. And also, Lance, we are going to do an Ask Us Anything episode for Missing Maura Murray. So if you're into that show, uh, check us out. Email us at missingmauramurray at gmail.com. You can ask us anything. We will answer it as openly and honestly as possible. And that extends to Crawl Space, too. If you want to ask us anything about Crawl Space, feel free to shoot that over to crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com or missingmauramurray at gmail.com. And we will answer it on the air on Missing Maura Murray in the upcoming weeks. That's a long overdue thing to do for our episode and Ask Me Anything. And we're... Um we're happy to do it. It's going to be fun. But we can't answer uh, investigation stuff. We know something that, that, that the public shouldn't know. That's the only, that's the only stipulation. So uh, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoy part two of this Brianna Maitland panel with Bruce Maitland, Greg Overacker, Lou Barry, and Chloe Cantor from the Riverwalk Cafe in Nashua, New Hampshire. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you in Chicago. Give us five stars. What about uh, an accident recreation or anything like that? Has there any ever been any uh, thoughts on that? Once the car goes to a tow yard and then there's uh, contamination after that, and people go in there. Yeah, you, you do a reconstruction at, at the time. It's kind of hard to put one together. Unless, you know, there's some uh, forensic evidence, there's skid marks or something. In this case, it was just a few marks in the grass. And, yeah. And, uh, mark on the foundation where the bumper had, had hit, and that's about it. So. Okay. Yeah, and you mentioned forensics. Uh, do we know that there's any DNA uh, found in, in the car or anything potentially belonging to the perpetrator? Yeah, how, how, much, uh, how much work has been done inside the car? Yeah. From the photographs, it appears as though they've taken upholstery pieces or whatever, and they have said that there's been DNA, but the relative worth of that is... You don't know. Yeah, the okay. car had been processed. It had been released to the Maitlands. It was on their property. And eventually, Bruce junked it because it was hard to look at. But it had just been sitting there for a long time. Anyway, they came and asked if they could look at the vehicle. And they took some pictures, and they opened the doors, and there was still uh, tape on there from print. They were collecting prints and left the tape there with full prints. They took the prints. They took the tape. And years later, I have to think of what year this was, I had him on the phone, and I said, are you telling me you have prints from that car? He said, yeah. I said, give them to the state police, and he did. He drove them to the state police and turned them in. Why they weren't originally lifted, I don't know. Well, they may have been, because sometimes when you lift prints, you can do it more than once. Okay, you lift so it and do it again? You can lift it, and there's still a right residue there, and you lift it again. So it could have been... They could have taken a print and then the secondary the secondary looked at it and said, nah, we don't need it. I mean, that's a possibility. I don't know that's a fact, but that's a possibility.
And that's one of the changes they also made is kind of a result of Brianna's case to state police is that, you know, they said that they, if they had one of the things that they would never, would do over again was that car should have never left the police impound lot because of the advances in DNA testing and different things like that. He said, it was now never actually whenever we have a case like that where it's unsolved, that car will never leave the lot. Right. It's always going to be available. And so... They still have Mara Murray's car, right? New Hampshire State Police still. It's out in the elements. Yeah. yeah, that is accurate, yeah. Uh, so, but theoretically, if uh, if there's DNA in the car, potentially from a perpetrator, and they're able to find someone who maybe confesses or there's some some direct line there, and that person's DNA was found in her car but is not a friend of her or anything like that, is that... That could be a good direction to go in, right? Is that a possibility? Yeah. They don't it's, release what it is. It's possible. We don't know what it is, but you know, it, it may be valuable. It may not, just because of the DNA, this person's DNA is there, not so. I mean, they committed a crime. Um, if it's someone who said, uh, I don't know, Brianna Maher, I've never, uh, Brianna Maitland, I've never met her before, I've never been in her car, and their DNA is there, certainly it's going to make them a suspect. But if it's someone that has a, had legitimate access to a car, which she had many friends up there, and they, you know, she would drive them and everything. So, um, the value of it is questionable until, you know, Extremely. I guess until you get a suspect. So. Is that enough to arrest someone though? If they said yeah. that they've never been in that car and their DNA was found there? Yeah, I would say that's certainly going to give you some probable cause. Whether it's enough to convict someone or not, I, I'm, you know, it, it depends. But um, it, I think you need you need some more than that. I mean, it's not like you have a, a, um, cr a definitive crime scene where their DNA is there. This is a car that was involved in an accident. We don't know what happened at the, in that car, if anything. Maybe nothing might have happened there. So um, the value of DNA at a crime scene, certainly, you know, if you find a victim in this DNA on the victim, that's a lot more valuable than having it at a in a vehicle that someone may or may not have been in at some point. What do you think, Chloe? I was just going to say, I think it's really hard to determine the significance of something. I mean, she owned that car for a long time, and the car was passed down, right, Bruce? That's correct, yes. So it, w it wasn't a brand new car. It would be difficult to determine when that DNA was left and to ascribe any significance to it. Like Lou was saying, if it's on a body, if it's under someone's fingernails, it's a lot clearer what that could indicate. Right. And we don't know what happened at the scene. We don't know if that happened. Well, I guess we could talk a little bit more about how the car was left. I mean, the pictures that are out there, both doors are closed. How it was discovered Did was different. Did somebody dump it? It was, yeah. It, I mean, was it, is it evidence that there was some sort of abduction, the way that it was left? I mean, both car doors were left open. That's not how it looks in the pictures because they were both closed after it was first spotted. But turn signal was left on, headlines, headlights. headlights were left on. Um, and it's about two miles from the Black Lantern where she worked. About a mile, mile, and a half. mile, mile, mile and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Very close. So, and and that, in theory, happened pretty much right after she left work. We think something happened. Yeah. The car was left there. Yeah. Okay. There's a what 55 minute time frame. 55 minute or, uh, window. Well, without knowing what time the witness went by, it's kind of hard. Hour and ten minutes. Hour and ten minutes. An hour and ten minutes. On the outside, he said he was there between 11.30 and 12.30, I think. But that's always the question is, was it ditched or did it take place there? It leads you to believe something took place there because the lights are on. 
Yeah, and if someone's going to ditch Doors a car, open. it's an odd way to ditch a yeah. car. Yeah, it's very conspicuous. Yeah, really yeah right. Yeah, yeah, right on the main road. Yeah. And um, but we heard those stories. Draw attention. People, people told us that. Yeah. You know, you've heard stories like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I had, a, had a girl say that my boyfriend did it. He told me everything. He told me he ditched her car there. Uh, they were doing heroin. They were really messed up, and he hit the building, got out, and ran. Told us where that was Hardwood Hill Road tip cried when she was telling me and, the, and we passed that to the VSP and they went and followed up on it so we don't know what happened with it other than it went nowhere it, yeah. if someone was going to ditch a car uh, I mean there's probably yeah. a half a million places in, Worst in place that to area ditch a car. Might as well ditch it at a casino. to ditch a car that, yeah, rather than right on the main road yeah. where it's going to draw the attention and did of people driving by because they you know, fortunately the photographs that we have came from a group of skiers who Thought it looked odd, stopped and took some pictures, fortunately, because other than that, we'd have one photo and that's it. But, so it did look odd. The VSP have more pictures than we do. And I can't remember where they came from. Have you seen them? I, I, I saw wasn't aware other than just those ones the guys took and then yeah. the one they and took. the one they took, yeah. When I did disappear, they showed them to me. The producer had them. So it's not that they didn't want the public to see them, they've just never released them. I think they're going to give them to a producer. But the doors are shut. Of course, the witness told us he shut the doors. She's an ex-boyfriend that sees the car for 2.30 in the morning, gets out of his car, walks up to it, shuts the doors, and leaves. He was just checking out the scene, just seeing what... Yeah, uh, that's what he says. And then he's always, he's from there on in, he's beholden to tell you that he was there because he touched the car. He, he can't very well say he wasn't. And so. the first responder, the story I've heard is that he picked up the scattered belongings or some of them on the ground and yeah. threw them back, back into the vehicle. Yeah, I'm clear on that. Necklace and I think a blue necklace or something. So the ex-boyfriend drove by 2.30-ish, shut the door, and then the police officer the next day saw the car, took a picture, found a necklace, tossed it into the car. Shut so both doors. Then he shut both doors or the... the both doors. No, the, Vic, the, the boyfriend shut the doors. Both doors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the the ex-boyfriend, um, I'm assuming, has been uh, questioned. Yeah. Okay. Because I think that's where a lot of people's heads go. Repeatedly and changes the story a lot. Repeatedly and changes the story. So what's the what's the feeling on the ex-boyfriend? Well, he he was involved in some activity that he didn't want to share with them. That particular night. That particular night, and. Um, since then has changed his story and told the, what he says is the truth, which uh, you know, I, I tend to believe him. In fact, he just contacted me what, a few weeks ago with, with some more information. So it's, he's being very open about things at this point. And he's changed his story once or twice? Or? I, I don't know how many times. He, he told me one story and that was it, but I know he's told the state police a number of different versions. So. Okay. Um, but that could be... Harkening back to what we talked about earlier, yeah. doesn't want to necessarily be honest with the police. Yeah, for for his own reasons, that they would make sense. Him. Right. They grilled him. Really they interrogated him pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're confident that he's not involved. Yeah. Okay. So am I. I don't think he's involved. No. Okay. Good to know. And you know, I just I know it seems like we've been knocking them, but you know, the Vermont State Police are still actively investigating yeah. this, and they're still working on it, and they appreciate the information and. Um, 
They've done uh, a lot of hard work. They, yeah, they, work. they're really there's, – there's different people involved now, and they're very professional. And, um, you know, I think they're, they're doing the best they can at this point with the resources they have. And lack of information. Yeah. Probably a good time to mention that if anyone has any information, can deliver it to these fine gentlemen up here or okay. directly to the Vermont State Police. So we keep getting off your story. Four days Thursday you go in? So she's been missing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday you go to the VSP. Yes, then that's what? probably true. Then what? Then we have our little scene there and discover that he has the pictures and, uh, uh, you know, my son and I go out to the place where the impound, where the record company has a car and, and uh, we... We asked about the keys, and the record guy says, well, there never was any keys. First you know, they said they had them. Yeah, first they yeah. did, but then they said, no, they never had them. There wasn't any in the car. So at that point, I mean, I didn't know. Uh, I knew at that point that no one had ever looked in the trunk. So, you know, a, a crowbar and, you know, yanking on it there, and a few minutes later we opened the trunk. And... Uh, that really was, that was one of the hardest mo moments that I can remember, you know, because it's like, oh, my God, what if she's, somebody just drew her in the trunk and no one's even checked, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but, you know, thankfully she wasn't in there. But that was a, that was a very tough moment. You think about the car being backed in like that and, and she's taken in haste and the lights are on, blinker on. So you think she's pulled from the car in haste. Why aren't the keys in the ignition? Where are the keys? So people went up and searched for the keys with metal detectors. Never found them. So. Never found the keys. Wow. And that's the only other thing besides her that's missing, right, is, is her Yeah, keys. she didn't have a cell phone that we know of, right? No, no, no cell phone. And uh, they searched the general vicinity pretty good with metal detectors and such? I actually went along for that. The guy with the metal detector searched all around the house, uh, all in the quasi-yard area, and then we did some grid searches out into the cornfield that was behind the house. And I mean, we, we kind of, at the time, I say, like, well, if somebody was going to throw a set of keys, how far would you look? And so that's kind of what we did. Okay. There's also a possibility that there are no keys because it's been told, I think, by a couple sources that her car didn't need a key and, and to start. And that's, you know, I've had experience with a car like that. Um, so it's a possibility. I don't know. I, I probably should ask Jillian if if um, they had a house key, if they locked the house. I doubt it up there they, they locked their house. With it. it would be hard to say. Yeah, I think yeah. there was a set of keys with yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I remember working on it. You know, you put the keys in. And it wasn't that old of a car. It had an ignition on the steering column with a lock that you take out. So, uh, yeah. The keys keys old, went somewhere. Old Peter. Yeah, they existed somewhere, and now they're not yeah. around. And you could turn the ignition without a key is what Lou's saying, but... But, Bruce, you're saying you think that I don't she personally had, think so. Yeah. She had a set of keys. Did, did she have a purse? She usually carry a purse? No. She just had anything stuffed in her pocket. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And how long had she been working at the uh, Black Lantern? That would have been her second weekend. How many other jobs did she have? Uh, she was starting a job at a restaurant in St. Albans, and I think she was there, what, one day, I think. People put a lot of interest in why didn't somebody that was doing this to her take the checks that were on The checks are right there. Well, they were small, and that's not what they're after. Two uncashed paychecks right on her front yeah, seat. Yeah, probably for pennies. Yeah. yeah. There's a story about um, Brianna talking to somebody in the parking lot of a, of a store after, and, and almost getting a warning. This is becoming sort of folk, folklore. What's, what's the background with that? And does, every, does any, everybody know what sort of the, the basics of this story? That derives from a tip, and a okay. guy told us that. And his, how do you explain that? His tip had a lot of what you would consider for good possibilities and truth, and he named names, and he went into a lot of detail and stuff like that. But a lot of it was bullshit. Yeah, I don't. Put, then, I don't put any credence in any of that. And okay. yeah, but that's what he said, and he named the yeah. person. We don't know that. Named about eight people. And, and I think he said that because he saw the show disappeared, and Kelly said, "Didn't she say that in there?" Yeah. Brian had laughed to come back, kind of nervous and stuff. But Bruce chalks it up as to maybe she went out and had a cigarette and didn't want her mother to know. It could have been something right. that simple. But yeah, that hasn't turned into a huge thing. She she was agitated, but part of that was, um, I guess she would get frustrated with her mother from time to time. And yeah. she had to go to work at the Black Lantern. So she had to go from St. Albans to where she was staying and get dressed and then drive. And be to work on time. be to work on time. And I think so. time was like... Running you know, close. Ticking away, and it was yeah. running close. So yeah. she was in a hurry to. The person you know, your first that, job, you're nervous about that anyhow. You know, you want to get there and be on time and do a good job. So. Yeah. And she was yeah. not upset, aggravated, anxious at work. Did anyone said she seemed no? They seemed all fine. Said she so you don't, fine. you know, go from being anxious about something to forgetting about it two hours later. Right? At least the, I would. The person that gave that tip was so detailed, and I thought that. He can't be making this up. It's just too much. It's like he had a looking behind me for the screen, like he's reading it, you know. And uh, but you could t- a lot of it was just bullshit, utter bullshit. And then uh, you talked to him, and he just kept dragging more people into it. And we're thinking, boy, he's going to have the whole town involved at some point. You know, yeah. everyone was in on this. And his and last he, story, pretty much everybody was. Yeah, and he <laughs> was he naming people publicly. I yeah, think, I think at some point he did no, start he's, doing yeah, it. Yeah, he still does on, online. Uh, he posts things okay. all the time. Yeah. It got bad, but the first time I interviewed him, I couldn't believe it. My jaw dropped, and he was really specific details. I mean, right down to getting morbid and, and, and the whole story. And the people that he said were involved were people that, well, you know, a lot of that came from the rumor mill, but he just endorsed it and really got theatrical with it. Well, he had a, a little run-in with the law up in New York and, and got sentenced on a, a thing, a cocaine charge. So while he was incarcerated, I figured it was a good time to get a hold of him because he wasn't going anywhere. Um, and I contacted him, and he agreed. I said, you know, will you give me a statement? And 
write out what happened. He said, sure, but I, I need money to buy paper and a pen. So I sent him some money, and um, then he, he sent me about a page and a half, and he said he ran out of stamps or something. I don't know. So yeah. he's looking for more money. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't we uh, hold off on that? And as soon as he got released, that was the end of the communication. So. When I was interviewing him, he was sitting in a chair, and he had a table next to him like that. And it was completely covered with prescription pill bottles. And he's talking and to me. And I said, I said, are those yours? He goes, yeah, you got a prescription for all that? He said, yeah. Now, Chloe, you were, you were kind of uh, smiling and nodding. You've had interactions with this person, or you've yeah. heard? Okay. Yeah, he is, I don't know, it's, quite, it's sporadic, I'd say, but he's pretty active on forums, yeah. uh, on Facebook. And I've... I mean, I've written a blog post about this very situation because if you go on websites like Reddit, on Facebook, people will say, and then there was the threat outside of the parking lot at the shopping center, or the warning, Brianna was warned, stating it as if it's fact. So I wrote an article specifically about that and how it's really rooted in conjecture. And so what, when I, I don't really do this anymore as much because it really ends up just making you a target, but sometimes when I would see it going on, I would say, well, actually, this isn't really a fact. This is kind of based on a lead, and now people are just yeah. regurgitating the story as if it's fact. And at one point, the person that gave the original lead responded to me specifically and was very angry. And, you know, some people were kind of ganging up on me with he him to it. That, that really believe it. And, I mean, he, he sticks to it, and he becomes angry when people don't believe it. Stick to that lie to the death. So the, the guy who with the pill bottles that you guys went to visit, that's the guy who sticks yeah, with it? Yeah, and you don't know okay. if part of it could be true. A lot of it was, Lou, you even said that part. A lot of it makes sense, but it just drifts away. And a lot of it doesn't. A lot of it, a lot of it doesn't. Yeah. It's distracting. But it's, one of the frustrating things that I'm sure that the authorities have been in the same problem is that a rumor starts and it gets spread, and, and now you're chasing ghosts. Yeah. And it, um, you don't know whether this is good information, is it new information, or is it just the same rumor being regurgitated over He's and over the and one over. that said that she was taken to a house and they were drugging her. And the first night that she was on the news, on the local news, one of her fr a girl walked in and said, What are you doing here? You're on the local news, everyone's looking for you. He told us that story and told us who the girl was, interviewed her, no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that leads me to the question about the, the person who apparently uh, told Brianna, you know, allegedly told Brianna about this threat that night. It, has that person been talked to yeah. about that moment? Was yeah. Is that something that that person could confirm or deny? I, I questioned him at length, and it, it's just, you know, you're talking about what I would... What would I be doing in St. Albans at one o'clock in the afternoon? I mean, and it's true that you know St. Albans is what twenty-five miles away from uh, yeah, you know, right, twenty twenty-five. And it happened to be in a shopping plaza that she and her mother happened to be at at the same time, and he just happened to warn her. And and then, according to the story, was at the scene when she got abducted. Right. So he warns her, and then he shows up. He and, told me. You know, he told me he wasn't there. Well, since then he said yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. They told me. He told me they took to his farm afterwards. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense. It's a lot. It's a lot to 
it's always amazed me that how many times that people will just kind of insert themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. just caused so much extra time and trouble and hassle. And I mean, yeah. and some of it is like innocent assertions. I mean, two people are talking in a store, and one of them says, "I know what happened to that girl," and then the third person hears it from the aisle over, and they're yeah. calling and telling you. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes I just think it's deliberate, and I just, for the life of me, I can't understand it. I really. Why would you want to come forward and put out false information? Well, I think that's a good question for if you get into the psychology of it, Chloe. <laughs> what, what, why do people insert themselves in these tragedies? My first thought was the drama. I mean, it just depends on how rational that person is. When earlier we were talking about people coming forward with erroneous leads, uh, very conspiracy-oriented, trying to tie a bunch of unsolved cases together, like, you know, uh, talking about Brianna and Maura Murray and Molly Bish and trying to tie everything together. I think some people that have certain mental health issues where they're not attached with reality, and that can be a number of things, they're very conspiracy-oriented. And I think those people are well-intentioned, and they're not trying to cause trouble. They actually think that they've figured something out and they've made the connection. I think other people are looking for drama and are harmful when they're just inserting themselves and wanting to speak to to Bruce Maitland directly and, and say things. I mean, is there a lack of empathy and compassion about how false hope and false information must make someone feel, or is there just a complete reckless disregard of it? I think people come from a lot of places. Yeah, I, some of them, I, and they're, they honestly want to help, and they think that they know something that we should know. And I, we just got a call two weeks ago from Canada. Um, I had some information from a woman, and she was convinced that this individual up there who has killed three women and served life in prison Russell. was involved in... Uh, Russell Williams. Yeah, Russell was involved in Brianna's case. And, you know, you look into it, and um, at the time, he was at um, uh, the military academy up in someplace up in... So, you know, realistically, it's... It's not possible. It's not possible. And the, the MO involved in his murders and hers are totally, totally different. So, But in her mind, she put this connection together and felt that it was viable and um, honestly trying to help. I mean, she wasn't. Okay. Um, I wanted to circle back about the Black Lantern. Um, how, how many people knew that, she, that Brianna worked at the Black Lantern? It's a point that Lou brought up recently is that not a lot. But you lose focus on that because you just think that people knew she worked. Well, they, they didn't. She just started the job. She'd kind of had some problems with some friends, so she kind of wasn't with that group anymore. And uh, we don't know. One thing that became noticeable right away is she kind of had two separate groups of friends and they didn't mix. And <coughs> she had drifted away from one group to the other group, and, and then there was the infamous fight, and she was kind of on the else with that group. So it was just kind of on her own there for a while and um, talking to the people the number of people that knew that she was working at the Black Lantern were pretty small which indicates if someone did know she was there then that limits your suspect pool and, or it was a random thing and, uh, or you know someone affiliated with the Lantern so as a customer or whatever that knew she was there so it's uh, I think it's important to note that, that that kind of eliminates a lot of potential yeah. suspects you know 
You know, you just mentioned the infamous fight. Is that something that is still a viable um, avenue to go down if you're looking for answers, or is that something that's been dismissed at this point? And anybody who doesn't know what the infamous fight is? There was a jealousy issue between one of her friends and and Brianna, she felt was trying to... um, you know, get involved with her boyfriend or whatever, and they, they were at a party one night, and she assaulted her, and uh, she was charged I think, criminally, and ultimately the charges were dropped because Brianna went missing. But uh, you know, realistically, I don't, I don't see that there's any real. That's another. Item. That's another bias you can look at where people go back and see these things and go, "This is connected to this." And it doesn't necessarily. You know, I've interviewed her. I think Greg, have you talked to her? Uh, no. Actually, she was supposed to call me this week, and she didn't. Well, I went out and sat down with her in the living room yeah. where she's living now and talked to her for a while, and I, I was pretty well convinced that she's... Yeah, she's talked to the police. Yeah, she is nothing... She's been in and out of trouble. If she'd been in and out of trouble to the point where if she wanted to get out of that trouble, she could give up information, and it would have helped her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So she was she was charged with assaulting Assault, Brianna. Assault battery, yeah. Okay. How old was she when that happened? Was she 17? 17. Okay. Yeah. 16, 17, 18, all about the same age. It was just weeks before. And what, uh, Lou, made you uh, sure or or pretty sure that she wasn't uh, involved? Just, you know, by talking to her, listening to her story, and, you know, there may be some things she's not being 100% honest with about, but that's, you know, conjecture. But um, She's willing to talk to anybody. Yeah, she will. She she mentioned coming on your show. She said, I'll talk. Let's get her on. Where is she? Come on up to the stage. Chloe, get on it. But, (laughs) you know, there is a possibility that always, you can't really just 100% discount anything, because there was some connection there, not necessarily that she did it, but but I don't really think so. Yeah. She talked to me on the phone for about two hours, and something interesting, she said that people anonymously in the past on Facebook have reached out to her trying to provoke her, will send her pictures that they found on MySpace of her and of Keely and a man and say, oh, you know, like, Brianna wanted your boyfriend and it's a different person than that person, but they're trying to provoke her to get some sort of of answer. So it's interesting when when the public kind of makes their mind up about something and tries to take it into their own hands. You said that it's kind of a logical... It's an easy trap to fall into when you look at what happened a few months prior and you go, this had something to do with it or this had something to do with it. And Mm -hmm. you can come up with 10 of them. Everybody's life is like that. What's your read on on her involvement? I'm not a a private investigator, but I felt like she was forthcoming with me. She, She told me a lot of things about her own life. I mean, I have a... I took notes throughout the entire interview, and I, w- I was very surprised with how much she was willing to share with someone that she had never met before. She was just very forthcoming and kind of, it was kind of like an a endless stream of thoughts. Like, I, I really didn't sense that there was much of a filter there. Um, I-, I felt like she was being honest with me. One thing people tend to forget sometimes is that all these people that are named as, you know, being suspects... 99% of them aren't. I mean, there's maybe nothing, one that is, nothing. but the rest of them are tired of being accused of being yeah. involved if they're not involved. You imagine that yourself. Someone you knew that went missing and they're pointing their finger at you and you're that, not involved. That's and, the issue with the show disappeared when they focused on two people yeah. for the better portion of the show. I thought, man, I, how can you name someone like that? It was because they were named prior, right? Because yeah. someone put them in the newspaper and said yeah. their names publicly. 
it seems like they could have some kind of lawsuit from that. Yeah. Well, how, how do you uh, how do you deal with that as a, an investigator and as a parent when you have a network that can provide so much coverage and so much exposure, but then you know they're going to put some sort of twist on it where it has to have this dramatic flair. Well, they were that part might... of the story. I mean, they are part right. of the story. Of course. Uh, yeah. of course. They but... knew Brianna and had some legal <coughs> trouble. Yeah. And, and they were bad guys. I mean, yeah. They were, they were there, but... Uh... And frankly, still are persons of interest. Yeah. I mean, they never really still have been eliminated as persons of interest. Yeah. I, I guess my question is, do the uh, do, does the the negatives outweigh the positives in that situation? Like you know, there'll be some collateral damage with the with the actual story, with the actual case, yeah. but the names out there and and the awareness is out there. I don't think they they knew how to tell the story otherwise. Yeah, I think what disappeared. It was probably just convenient that there it, were names out there. And that all comes from Hank Elbarelli's articles. Yeah. Originally, Hank wrote two articles, and that's what was in them. Yeah. And he did a great job because he followed Ramon Ryans down to Burlington. No one else did that. The police didn't do that. And then Ramon Ryans' girlfriend gets murdered, and he split after that. R Ramon they, Ryans is not in this room, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sure he wants to meet me. Uh -huh. And the VSP put him on a most wanted list. They wanted to talk to him bad, and they marshals picked him up in New York City and brought him back. And they so they talked to him. They did their job. They just didn't know he had skipped town, I don't think. I don't think they knew he went down to Burlington. And he wasn't there long. Right. Well, I don't think he necessarily skipped town. He moved well, yeah, he, just, he had a trial date. Everyone he was, had a trial date. Oh, that's right, he did. And he never showed up. Yeah, so yeah, at that yeah. point, he had a warrant out for it. Failure to appear, yeah. yeah okay. But Jackson left town. He left the state, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. About a month after. Yes. Hey, well, I got the uh, notice from our guy back there that we yeah. have just a few more minutes, so maybe we should do a... It's if anybody has any questions... Uh, we can do this for the next 15 minutes, right? Some questions? Okay. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a question. You said the boyfriend um, drove by her car 2.30 in the morning? That's correct. 2.30 in the morning, right? He said 4.30 initially. And then All right, 4.30. Okay. Gets out of the car, shuts both doors, picks up all her stuff on the ground. No? No. He didn't pick the, up anything. The trooper picked the stuff up off okay. the ground and put it in the car. But the boyfriend shut both doors? That's what he said. Okay, so did the boyfriend report the car being missing in an accident? No. So well, why didn't he do that? He was doing drugs <laughs> pretty heavily. Yeah, he, he didn't want to bring any attention to himself. Yeah, well, it sounds kind of... Yeah. I mean, why, the, why would he shut two doors? Why? I mean... He knew the car. He knew it belonged to. The lights were on. The doors were open. He stopped to see what was going on. Nobody so was there. He must have been screwed up the in the head then, right? I mean, that's what you're saying. He was screwed up. Uh, yeah. There probably was some drugs involved at the time, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Uh, he sounds kind of fishy to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? You have to think, too. I mean, it was an ex-boyfriend, and it wasn't an ex-boyfriend that stalked her. It wasn't anybody that was trying to, like, restart the relationship. Yeah. This guy just... Seeing, oh, there's my girlfriend's car. The lights are on. I know, the but doors that, are so early in the morning. What the hell is he doing out that early in the morning? Did someone call him and him? say, "Well, that, that road it's a very remote area, and that road is the only main road in." Okay. From where he says to get there, so he would have basically had if he was out anywhere, he'd have had to drive by that road. So you're on drugs and you're driving. I, I, I can't picture him just seeing that car. If I'm if I'm drunk. 
Okay? I'm not going to look for different if I see drug. A guy on the side of the road. Yeah. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a different drug completely. I think that's a lot of the the answer uh, oh, to, to your crack. question. Right. Yeah. He was crack. doing some hardcore stuff. Right. Any, uh, <laughs> yeah. He looked in, turned the lights off, shut the door, turned the lights Went around the other side, looked in, shut the door, and locked. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's difficult for a lot of people yeah. to, to reconcile. Be included. All of that, yep. You know, it's also difficult to reconcile why didn't the trooper find the owner of the car. There's a lot of things that happen that you can't, you know, human nature is what it is. You can't always explain things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and we got, a, we got one over here. Uh, first, Ms. Maitland, I'd like to thank you for coming and sharing your story with us tonight. I have two questions somewhat related. Um, early on, the PIs mentioned leads coming in daily. I wonder if you could share some of those, because I'm interested to know that leads are coming in daily so many years later. Initially. And then also, I'm wondering, are the PAs, ob uh, PIs excuse me, obligated to turn over leads to the police? Like, can you not follow up that yourself? Because if things are falling on deaf ears or things aren't moving as quickly, could you guys not move things on a little bit more quickly? Greg would never follow up on something on his own. I'd rather do it myself, and I will do it myself. And then if I get any information, that goes to them. I want to know. what, it, And I don't want them to waste their time either if I get there and the person's crazy, which happens. But I'll get all the information I can get and then give it all to them, and then they can go back and, and, and follow up. The first question was for you, though. Uh, a lot of tips came in initially, daily. Yes, daily. Of random. It was, yeah, very, very, people would just call and said, you know, I I heard Brianna was this, and I heard, you know, I mean, it, it, it it's just, stuff you never I can't remember, and, and some of it was, I mean, you know, I remember the first tip that came in, it said, you know, uh, you know, we're so sorry we heard your daughter is, uh, you know, was killed and chained to a tree out in the woods. You know, so that that was the first tip. That one I don't, you know, I won't ever forget. Over the years, the stuff that, you know, and eventually that he has told me is just heartbreaking. Just the tips. It's just crazy. And people, you know, I mean, the person that called in that tip heard the rumor. You know, you can't fault them for calling in. They were calling in to offer condolences, figuring it was true. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, and, you know, then there's tips of, well, I heard she was here, and I heard, you know, she was, uh, the tip at the house they raided that, uh, the Ryans and Jackson were at, uh, I mean, we got the tip there, too. Someone called in and said, Brianna's being kept, uh, in the basement under the floor of that house. And in the roof cellar. And, you know, so there's... Which I always thought that the person that called that in was anonymous referred to a root cellar in Ryan's house. And I always wondered if they assumed Ryan's house was Ellen Ducharme's house because I was in Ellen Ducharme's house and she had a root cellar. That house didn't. But they, they were connecting it to Ryan's. To answer the second part of your question there, um, Greg and I probably talk, what, two or three times a week? Yeah. Um, anytime new information comes in, um, we'll talk it over, what's the best way to do it, and... You know, most of the time it's something you can look at and then dismiss. And when we get something that you can't dismiss, um, you know, we work on it and we get to the point where we 
talk to Bruce and say, Bruce, this is what we got. Do you want us to continue or do you want us to turn it over? We're working for Bruce. Um, and, you know, we just had a, the last real solid tip that we had. We talked it over back and forth. Do we want to go talk to this guy or do we want them to? And finally decided under the circumstances it was best to turn it over. So we turned it over. And there's that fear, too, that you're going to go talk to this person. Not that you're backdooring the state police, but you're going to go talk to this person. You're going to walk away and hear a gunshot. Yeah. And then you've screwed it up, and that yeah. person's gone. In that case, you want the police to handle it the way they want to handle it and right. do it correctly the way right. they want it. The way if it gets that temperamental, it's going yeah. to them, and they're going to do it. And, yeah. and we went back and forth on this, what, how many times? What, what, well. what we should do, what's the best way to do it. Um, so When in doubt, give it to them. Yeah. yeah. I guess my question is when, as a female, it's hard to not be emotionally involved in something, even just listening to the story and following the case. It's really hard to not be emotionally involved when you're listening and, like, catching up on things and paying attention. As private investigators, when you guys encounter new tips, what is it that sets off your radar that says this guy's crazy like it's not worth me even how do you know someone's yeah like what i i know that i i have a gut instinct that i can trust and i'm usually pretty spot on but i'm curious as to whether there's something in particular that sets it off for you guys the last one told me he was arrested at the white house (laughs) seriously (laughs) he's got a bullshit detector really good (laughs) he does and he laughed. I left him a message. Oh, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and what was the other thing he said? Um, we know exactly, oh, we know where, exactly she where she is. is yeah. Okay, yeah. where is she? He was texting me. He said, between Vermont and somewhere between Vermont and Connecticut. And I wrote back, that's the opposite of exact. <laughs> he's, just, he's just nuts. But, yeah. It's, it's, he's got a good bullshit. What, about, what about the difference between a... Um, like a, a, someone who, who might be eccentric and someone who is telling you know, maybe good information. Crazy people hear valuable stuff too. You know, criminals are the ones that give you good information because they're criminals. And that's, you know, you're going to hear stuff from, you know, the good people usually. You know, the, the main thing is what's their basis of knowledge? How do you know what you're telling me? Yeah. And is it credible what they're telling you that their basis of knowledge is or not? And that a lot of times will tell you. You know, if it's like, well, I heard this, you know, from my hairdresser, and yeah. you call the hairdresser, and they, they, they well, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you could probably write that one off. You know, yeah. uh, but it's frustrating because you get information, and you don't want to immediately assume, uh, like you said, crazy people get information too. So yeah. you can't discount anything, and that's part of the frustrating part of the whole thing. Time for two more questions. Okay, you first. Okay, hi. Um, I heard reports that Brianna was uh, a martial arts person. Uh, how long was she practicing, and do you think the evidence that was uh, allegedly found, a broken necklace and some of the other uh, water bottle outside, do you think that was proof that she fought? In my mind, yes. I believe there was some kind of struggle that went on just outside the car. Uh, that's one explanation in my mind of maybe why the keys are missing, because you know, that would have been maybe a tool that she could have used if she was being attacked, is the keys. Uh, Brianna spent about, probably about six months in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I would go to uh, and watch sometimes, and 
I honestly have mixed feelings about that because although she learned some basic self-defense, she went there and there was a lot of people there that were bigger than her. Uh, and they would have testing and she would be able to flip them and do this or that. But you, you didn't, in a real life situation, I think what it did is it gave her overconfidence that she could handle herself against someone larger and stronger. That stuff means her. nothing if somebody's 30 pounds heavier than you, or has a gun, or has a knife, or and has yeah. a club. Seriously, it means nothing. I don't quite agree with that. I mean, I certainly think there's techniques that maybe you could use to try to get away or you different things really, like yeah, that. You better be real but good at it. for somebody that's really out to do somebody harm, that, you know, there's a frail 117-pound girl, you know, yeah. and I just, yeah. So. And I, I think case in point, two weeks earlier, she'd been beat up by a frail 17-year-old girl. So, and did not, from my understanding, she did really not choose to fight back. or anything, right? So... That was a choice. That, right. that was not a guess. I think she could have handled that other girl just fine if she wanted to. Okay, we got a question here. So I just listened to the episode about the HVAC, and I was just wondering if there was a possibility that that could be used on the inside of Brianna's car to try to find traces of DNA. <laughs> Yeah, yeah MVAC. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we all wish we had that car. You know, we just don't have it now. And that was my decision because, I mean, I brought they, the police called me, said, We're done with the car. Come get it out of here. So I brought it home, and it's, it sits along the driveway, and you drive in and out there, and you're looking at that car every single day. And then you have people that want to help or aren't experienced investigators. Oh, well, let me come look inside the car. I'll you know, find something that no one else found. And it just, it, you get to a point where it just drives you crazy to see that car sitting there. So. Don't forget also the advances in technology from now to back, going back to 2004, just not like night and day. And that's why they're solving cases now that are 20, 30 years old um, through DNA that that technology didn't exist when a case came up. So that makes a big difference. I think if the same case happened now, you see it handled entirely differently, forensic-wise. You know. Two minutes. Well, that should be enough time to say if you have any other questions or if you want to find out more information about Bruce's organization, Private Investigations for the Missing. Um, we have these flyers here. It's uh, investigationsforthemissing.org, and the email address is on there. There's a GoFundMe that's associated with that. And it is a small, uh, it's a small charity that, that you can that you can give to, and any amount counts. Any amount uh, will you know equal up to something that, that you know that, that will be some hopefully at some point significant for what they're trying to do, uh, which is to provide resources for people who have missing loved ones and law enforcement has run out of um, their resources. So. Go to investigationsforthemissing.org, and we want to also promote the uh, the uh, proposal is proposal 130. Uh, go Senate Bill 130. Senate Bill. <laughs> go 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 with that. Yeah, Senate Bill 130 aims to uh, provide more resources to the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. So that uh, that is pending now, apparently, and uh, hopefully is going to get voted yes. And that's something that can happen in, in every state, if I'm not, if I'm not uh, mistaken. That's something, if, if you are to lobby your particular state government, they can get something in place where more resources can be assigned to cold cases. 
because everybody asks, what can I do to help? So we have investigationsforthemissing.org. Again, any questions, just email. There's also the, uh, the, the GoFundMe. All right. Well, th thanks for bearing with us through some technical stuff, and uh, thank you very much for coming out. Thanks a lot.